Thanks for tuning in today to the 3i Members Forum. I'm very excited to have David Lyon here with us, and we're going to learn a bit about his background and in this founder series about his life and uh, what he's up to lately. So, uh, David, why don't well welcome welcome aboard first, and why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and uh, tell us where you come from. No, thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. I grew up between New Jersey and Chicago. Moved to Chicago right before high school. A little bit of background. Um, I actually started my career in the entertainment business. Worked for uh, the Chicago Bulls out of college for a couple of years. And then... What years were they during their title runs? What year was that? One really good year. That was the 97-98 season. Okay. It was my first season there. Amazing time to be there. It was a dream job for me. I I gave up a job going into the junior analyst program with Goldman Sachs to wow uh, to to go work for the Chicago Bulls. After about uh, three years there, I went to go work for a company now known as Live Nation. We were acquired uh, twice before we spun off and became Live Nation. I was there for about ten years. What were you doing there? I did endorsement deals for artists and tours and music venue sponsorship deals. Okay. Did that. And then in uh, like 2007, they asked me to move to Los Angeles. And it wasn't really a good time for my family to pick up and move to go to Los Angeles. And so I passed and kind of switched careers. I, I went into financial services. And that was kind of really the track that I was going on coming out of college, but decided to take a detour in the entertainment business. So I, I actually, I joined a broker dealer, was an investment advisor as part of a broker dealer. And that lasted about six months. And I, I, I went out on my own and hung, hung up my own shingle, basically saw that I, I didn't really need a broker dealer to take 25% of my, my fees uh, for really something I could have done on my own. Yeah, but they give you infrastructure, right? A, a broker-dealer has got research and infrastructure and license, you know, uh, all the infrastructure that a big broker-dealer has, so you didn't feel you needed it. I didn't really need the infrastructure, uh, to be honest with you. I think like some of the independent custodians, like TD Ameritrade at the time, Pershing, Schwab, they were starting to become really kind of more like a broker-dealer than they were just a pure custodian, at least in the RIA space, in terms of research it was pretty readily available either directly through asset managers or companies like Morningstar. Great. Okay. So hung up my own shingle, grew that business fairly well. Can you put in perspective how big, how big was it? How many clients, assets under management? Like how, how big was it for us? Give us a range. I grew to about 350 million in AUM in under three years. Great. Uh, serving about 27 different families. So we were kind of more of a, uh, a multifamily office, so to speak, about $11 million average account size and manage investments. But I would say more of my time was spent really as kind of a financial quarterback where I kind of sat in between high net worth families and other institutions that they were working with, just making sure that they were getting served appropriately and that we were staying on plan across, you know, kind of everything that they had going on in, in, in their families. So. That was kind of more of my approach and less of like trying to be kind of like a full service shop to everybody, right? There are so many things that I didn't do, particularly as an independent RIA, that was important for them to at least have somebody who, you know, would sit with their estate planning attorneys and other types of investments that they have through hedge funds and things along those lines. And How many people were on your team? 
There was about six of us, six plus myself, actually. Okay, so you built this $350 million, let's call it an IRA, uh, and then what, what, what happened with it? About three years in, I kind of wanted to grow to be a billion in AUM. That was kind of my goal. It's a, an entirely referral-driven business, and I was really good at getting referrals. My conversion rate from referral to first new business meeting, I wanted my kind of conversion ratio to get better. I really felt like if I had a better way to connect with people, meet with them, demonstrate value, that I could grow at a faster clip. That was when I decided to build some software. Just to give you kind of a frame of reference, this is roughly 2011. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar at all with what account aggregation technology is, just you put in your username and password and it aggregates everything into one place. Today, that's very commonplace, but in, in 2011, it, it was not. But I stumbled across this company called Yodely, which is an account aggregation engine as a service. Called them up and they were just like a kind of a small startup at that time. They connected me with some software engineers and basically built uh, a portal for my clients and prospective clients to be able to aggregate everything that they own, kind of set what their goals are. And I could get like a full picture and essentially turn a first new business meeting into a third business meeting and, you know, essentially not, you know, meet with them for hours and, you know, listen to all their hopes and dreams and what their goals are and what's going well, and what's not going well. You know, the first new business meeting is like, hey, look, this is where I can sit in your financial life. And this is the role that I can play. And this is how I can help you. So I built that in call it, it once came to market roughly like 2012, used it in my business for about two years. And uh, I was custodying my assets uh, at TD Ameritrade Institutional. And a lot of their relationship folks heard about what I was doing. Uh, they started spreading the word to other RIAs that, that were underneath their management in their relationship management. Before I knew it, I had all these other independent RIAs calling me, asking me how much did it cost me to build? How long did it take? All these things. And and ultimately they said, well, I have no interest in doing that. Can I license it from you? The intention was, was not to commercialize it. It was really just to help use it as a proprietary piece of software for me to grow my business. And by the way, your business... How much did it grow in the two years after you instituted the business? Did it prove incredibly effective? Did you double your assets or how did it work? I I increased the assets by about 60%. Great. The thesis did play out, call it roughly 2014. I started licensing it. Essentially, within about 18 months, the revenue of licensing the software eclipsed the revenue of my RIA, multifamily office practice. Good for you. I love it. You made a bunch of money without even trying. You weren't trying to make it. I love that. So did you end up selling the company? I ended up selling um, the family office, the multifamily office to another. It was at the time, it was just a single family office that that wanted to get into the multifamily office business. So I sold that and, and really went all in on the software, brought it to market and kind of quickly realized that like, hey, you know, just about everybody in the independent RIA space that wanted to use a standalone portal was already licensing it. <laughs> so the feedback I got from the market was that they didn't, essentially the market didn't want the 11th thing to log into every day, right? You know, they had their morning star, they had Bloomberg, yeah. they had their performance reporting, they had their CRM, so many disparate pieces of technology. I was at a crossroads. I had to really kind of figure out the market was telling me that people really wanted an all-in-one solution and not really kind of a la carte their tech stack. 
we decided to kind of go all in. We built a trading rebalancing platform to kind of uh, anchor the back office. And we built performance reporting and portfolio management capabilities as well in the back office. And then we had kind of the original component of the platform, which was this this kind of souped up portal. And that that became kind of our end-to-end solution, which we then added in uh, a model marketplace where advisors could pull kind of pre-constructed models and, and SMA strategies off the shelf and easily assign their clients' accounts to them and rebalance them into them. That kind of became what the platform was and exited that business about two and a half years ago. I sold it to a company called SEI, which is a publicly traded company under the ticker SEIC. And SEI is a TAMP a turnkey asset management platform. So they provide kind of third-party investment management services to some middle market banks like Wells Fargo, PNC, places like that. Great. And so just we'll wrap it up on that topic, but how how big was it when you sold it in terms of revenues? Was it, you know, in terms of top line? Well, the revenue, just because of the acquisition, I can't disclose that. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I, what what I can say is that the we, we had about we had close to about forty billion uh, of assets running through our pipes. Uh, Great. Well, congratulations. Call it, call it AUA. Yeah. Right, that's fantastic. All right, so let's talk about sound advice. And as I said when we first spoke, when I was a kid growing up in Florida, the place where I bought my stereo for my car was called Sound Advice that I believe went bankrupt probably 30 years ago. So when you told me your company was Sound Advice, I'm like, he reopened up Sound Advice, a retailer that sells stereo equipment for, you know, to to make the car loud. Uh, So apparently that's not the case. So why don't you tell us what Sound Advice is and what you're doing? Yeah, Sound Advice is AI-driven financial advice for Gen Z. If you think about really kind of what we've seen over the last 10 years, which is really the decoupling of financial services with providers like SoFi and Robinhood and Lemonade and Betterment and and many other flavors of fintech. Sound advice is really just what it sounds like, is just financial advice. We're a subscription model. It's $16.25 a month, which provides users the ability for unlimited advice requests. And each advice request is generated by AI. But really for the first year and a half to two years of when we'll be live in the market, every advice request is being reviewed by a CFP. Oh, so it's not instantaneous. They ask you a question and then there's a period of time before you get you get the response. So somebody is going over to make sure it's sound really is sound advice rather than really you know, is, AI. Yes. I, I've been playing on chat GPT and uh, auto GPT and uh, definitely some of the answers come back and you're like, no, nah, that doesn't sound right. I, I, I did an auto GPT about me and it said a bunch of flattering things and I read a newsletter and it said, the only downside of Eric's newsletter is it's very expensive. There's only one problem with that. It's free. So, you know, I don't charge anything <laughs> for the newsletter. And uh, it told me that I have a very expensive newsletter that it costs a fortune to join. So it's not always right. So, okay. So you have this and what, what stage are you at? How, how many clients do you have? Uh, wh- where are you in the process? So we're, we're pre-revenue. We're launching any day now. We have gone back and forth with Apple. So we're, we're a registered RIA with the SEC as an internet only advisor. So we have to adhere to, you know, all of the fiduciary responsibilities that, you know, FINRA and the SEC require us to in our review. And as we went through kind of a compliance review with our our consultant, there's some of Apple's policies that 
I would say are, are not super friendly to uh, registered RIAs uh, as fiduciaries. Really, the first kind of roadblock that we we ran into uh, was Apple requires anyone who puts an app onto their store to utilize their in-app purchasing platform, their payment gateway. And as part of that, they also they charge uh, 30% of gross revenue, right, as a commission. Well, there's a reason they're a $3 trillion company, whatever their, their net worth is. They charge you everywhere. Okay. So yeah. we, we talked about that yeah. a little bit. Are, are you getting around that or can you not get around that? We're get, we, we, we are getting around it because uh, despite uh, some of what we, you know, everybody has read around Apple being kind of this impenetrable force in the courts, many companies have challenged this. We're actually taking a, a, a legal position that, that's based in securities law. We're in an appeal process with them there, but the Apple did lose a case a couple of years ago that allows app providers to essentially bounce people to a payment system outside of the app store and then bounce them back into the app. In the short term, that's kind of the technical approach that we're taking, but we're also in an appeal process with Apple where we provided them with, you know, case law and no action letters from the SEC that support essentially our position, which is like, hey, if we're out there as a fiduciary, we have to be able to control the refunding process. The SEC is, it's very well documented that, you know, essentially if you can't control uh, the refunding process, you can't uphold your fiduciary responsibilities because you're relying on a third party to be kind of the judge and jury to refund your customers. So that's kind of the position we're taking on the appeal process to allow people to buy inside the app. But it's a fairly common practice. I wouldn't say it's like the optimal user experience, but it works. And many companies are on the app store and are successful using the methodology that of, of kind of how we're going to market. Fantastic. Right. Any other major setbacks or, or challenges that you're facing in the business today? I, you know, I wouldn't say particularly. Not, nothing that is, I would say, outside of the norm of, you know, startup life. There's always challenges that you run into, but there's always creative solutions for those. So nothing that's preventing us from, you know, moving forward and, and hitting our goals. So what about, do you have outside money? Have you funded it all yourself or do you have a third party involved? No, so far I funded I funded the business myself. We are going to raise a little bit of capital, but we're bootstrapped up to this point. Well, I should bring it to the three I team. We'll take a look at it. Um, what about goals? So, when you look at your at Sound Advice three years from now, what's the goal in terms of how many how many uh, monthly paying members are there? You know, what 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 do you want to be in three years? What's what's your goal? Well, I mean, in three years, you know, our business is going to evolve. We're looking at you know, essentially the ability to, to break even within about 12 months. And every startup's going to sit there and say, you know, we'll break even in a year. But uh, ours is, I'd say, a little bit more defendable than a, a kind of a pie in the sky type of approach. We're, we're utilizing essentially social media and influencers as a go to market and keep our cost of acquisition down. And the average numbers from a conversion rate, meaning like impression to subscription, you know, really support that. And there's nothing that we've seen to date in our work with some of these influencers that, that would convince us otherwise. So in a year, we'll be at a break even, if not a little bit of a profit. In three years, we should be well over 100,000 users. Wow. And we'll be adopting a second line of revenue where we're going out the door with call it bite-sized personalized 
financial advice. That's always actionable is kind of our term here internally. We will be doing, it's called an API sandbox where third parties will be able to connect into us to get kind of order flow, whether that's on, you know, from a security standpoint or credit card applications or loan refinancing applications, whatever it might be. And we're going to actually be able to charge those third parties uh, based on API calls, right? So every time that they get an order from us, they'll pay us anywhere from like 30 to 70 cents. Fantastic. If you have hundreds of thousands of uh, users, that's going to add up, uh, add up in a hurry. That's uh, that's fantastic. So uh, I, I, you know, the three I team wishes you all the luck on that. Uh, question: So when you when you look at, I, I know what my biggest takeaway is, but um, you know when you when, when if you're speaking to the three I members right now, what's your biggest takeaway um, that, that that you've learned in this process, whether it was developing the RIA, the software company, or with sound advice that you know, uh, maybe a, a young entrepreneur could take away from, uh, from, from your experience? What's the, what's the biggest takeaway? I'd say the biggest takeaway is um, build what's called an MVP, build a minimum viable product. So in the old days, 20 years ago plus, there was a methodology called waterfall, which is like you went away for two years, you built something, and then you released it into the wild and mm-hmm. you figured out what you did right and what you did wrong. Build something that you are embarrassed about that you know has warts and put it out there and let the market tell you how to make it better. If you can't get to market fast and get that feedback, you're going to burn through a ton of capital and you think you know what your customers want, but that's almost never the case. Well, to me, my biggest takeaway from from this interesting talk today is, you know, you built something that you you felt that you needed to grow your RIA business. And it turns out that what you built was was helpful to the market. And so uh, to me, I think if, if you're doing something and you, you say, wow, it would really be great if I had something that did this and you build that, chances are that there's thousands of other people who feel the same way that could use it. So you built something for yourself that turned out to be helpful for the market and a, and a valuable business that you sold. So I think it's a, it's a good piece of advice um, for, for our listeners. So we'll, we'll end on this. Um, and that is, how did you get involved with 3i? What was your introduction and what do you think so far? I actually, I got invited to a rooftop event, I think, at, at Wrigley Field. And I got invited by Tom Kane, who's also a, a 3i member, and went to the event. And uh, I met Teddy Gold. And uh, the, re- the, re- the rest is history. Yeah, he's a, an infectious character, that guy. So uh, that's fantastic. Good. Yeah. Well, listen, we really appreciate your time and your insights. Uh, and congratulations on your continued success and hopefully sound advice gets that 100,000 user number just as you suggested it would. And uh, we appreciate you being a member of 3i. And uh, thanks for joining us today. You got it. Thank you very much, Eric. I appreciate it.